0: Alright, John chapter 17. Let's get into the message this morning. I'd like to read a few verses of Scripture starting in verse 6. Now the Lord is signing off here and this is after the Lord's Supper there where Judas had uh, taken the sop and he's, he's getting ready to uh, betray the Lord. He had already betrayed Him and he was waiting on the opportunity uh, for uh, those soldiers to come and get Him. And the Lord was giving them some last minute instruction and he begins this over there in chapter 14 where he says uh, you don't don't let your hearts trouble you. You know if you believe in God believe also in me and then he tells them that there's uh, in my father's house there's many mansions and he's he's telling them uh, these things to encourage them and then by the time you get to chapter 15 he says now look it's very important that you as a child of God abide in Christ and so chapter 15's all about abiding in Christ And he tells them, without me, ye can do nothing. But then he begins uh, to get uh, and hit on a subject about the world. Now, the book of John, and John has wrote a number of books in the New Testament. John, of course, uh, where we're at, and then 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And in the book of John, you will find a reference to the world uh, around 80 times. That is more than Matthew and Mark and Luke combined. And so John, who is the disciple that loved the Lord the most, that's what the Bible tells you. He was the closest to Jesus. He knew something about uh, the Christian and the Christian's relationship to God and then the Christian's relationship to the world. And I really believe that John is trying to give us something here that we need to take note of uh, about this dangerous thing we call the world. And so I'm going to preach for a few moments of my time after, of course, we read the text on why is there so much difference? Why is there so much difference? You look at two people. Uh, you got one Christian uh, that lives a godly and a holy life. You got one Christian that has uh, that is dedicated themselves to the truth, and that they're going to make every service. Uh, they're going to darken the door every time the doors of the church are there. They're going to praise God. They're going to worship because they know they need it. But then you have another Christian. They're every bit as much saved, and is so different. They rarely come. They can't get victory in their life. And they think everything's okay. Have you ever thought about that? Why is there such a difference? Who's right? Which one of those spectrums is right? And I believe a lot of times Christians think that when they get to the judgment seat of Christ, that one of the things God's going to judge them on is, you know what? You just tried to live too close to God on earth. You should have just let her loose and had a little fun. I think they think that in their mind. You say, well, why would someone think that? Why do we have some Christians that get called into the ministry, that sell out for God and do great things for God, but then we have other Christians that sit and been saved 30 and 40 years and have never done nothing, and they're still dealing with the same battles they were dealing with when they first got saved. Why is that? Interesting thought. Now let's read some Scripture. Verse 6, I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. This is Jesus talking, he's praying. Thine they were, and thou gavest them me, and they have kept thy word. And now he puts a big emphasis on the word of God. Now they have known that all things whatsoever thou hast given me are of thee. For I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came out from thee, and they have believed that thou didst send me. I pray for them. I pray not for the world. Yeah, the world's not going to get better, folks. It's not going to turn around, and America's not going to turn back into a Christian utopia. It's not happening according to this book. He says, I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me. For they are thine, and all mine are thine, and thine are mine. And I am glorified in them. And now I am no more in the world. But these are in the world. And I come to thee, Holy Father, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me I have kept, and none of them is lost but the son of perdition, that the Scripture might be foretold. And now I come, or, and now come I to thee, and these things I speak in the world." That they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them thy word. See how he keeps keying in on one of the antidotes for the world is the word. The word of God. And the world hath hated them. Amen. The world hates you. So well, don't hate me. I get along great. Then there's a problem in your life. Because they are not of the world. That's why the world hates Christianity. Even as I am not of the world, I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. They are not of the world. Even as I am not of the world, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them... End of the world, let us pray. Our gracious Father, we come now. Lord, help us this morning. We need something from the Word of God. Uh, we, we need something to guide us. Uh, the Holy Spirit has, uh, is our guide. He said He would guide us unto all truth, and let us be guided into the truth. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. Now, here we, by way of introduction, we see here in verse 6, And I hope that you caught this. Look what he does here. He says, I have manifested thy name unto them, men, which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest them me. And so sometimes your Calvinists will get in there and say, yeah, right there, that's that elect, you know, of the Father. That's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about the nation of Israel. Uh, God the Father was the one that dealt primarily with the nation of Israel. That had been Jehovah. And the Lord here is saying, now look, uh, he says, they were yours, but you've given them to me. And you say, what's he saying? He is teaching you and showing you that Jesus and God are one. This is the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so let me ask you a couple of questions. Maybe you've had these questions and maybe not. Number one, why is it that some Christians hate the world and other Christians love it? Have You ever wondered about that? Why do some Christians hate the world But then other Christians, they love it. They just can't get enough of it. How about why is it that some Christians quit certain habits as soon as they get saved, but other Christians struggle all their Christian life? You ever wondered about that? You hear a testimony of of a Christian that says, Well, yeah, I used to uh, do this and used to do that. And the moment I got saved, it was over. I never had a problem with that addiction. I never had a problem with that problem ever again in my life. But then you listen to other people's testimony and it is a constant struggle. It's a constant battle and they can never get that victory over that. You ever ask, you ever ask that? Which one of those two is true? Did, did somebody just, uh, just turn over a new leaf? Is the other person actually filled with the Holy Spirit of God? What is it? And then why is it that some Christians are emphatic about holiness in their lives but other christians don't care about holiness at all have you ever wondered about that why do some churches and you're seeing we're seeing this in our churches today? We're seeing where one so-called Bible-believing church has no modesty at all in their sanctuary, have no modesty at all in their lives. But then you got another church, and they believe in modesty, they believe in biblical separation, they believe in some decency, and you're looking at that, and it brings that confusion. And God's not the author of confusion, and you know they're both handling the Word of God. In your you're You're trying to say, which one of these is right? And then you're stuck in the middle. And you're trying to, you look at the other one. You say, well, they're just being legalistic. They're just being judgmental. And then you're naturally drawn to the church that says, come as you are. Come in your pajamas and leave as you were. We'll never challenge you. We'll never confront you on anything you do. Which is Gnosticism. A lot of people don't understand about that because they've never studied it. A Gnostic believes that there's nothing good in the flesh. You can do whatever you want. The flesh has no connection with the spirit. I got news for you. The body and soul and spirit that you're made up of is so closely intertwined that it's hard to make a distinction where one starts and the other stops. And what the Bible says... Is what you see on the outside is nothing more of a sampling of what's going on on the inside. Why do some Christians view the world one way, but other Christians view it another? Have you ever wondered about that? Why are some preachers today preaching against sin and preaching against uh, the ways of the world? Uh, But then other churches, they don't say anything about it. Have you ever wondered about that? I mean, they're both handling Bibles. You say, why? what is the difference? Why do some Christians grow in Christ? But in the same church, other Christians don't grow at all. Have you ever wondered about that? You know, it's one thing for new converts uh, that takes some time to get their lives together, to get their act together. That's why I firmly believe in discipleship because the more of this book I can get in you, the quicker you're going to grow, the better you're going to grow, the stronger you're going to grow for Christ. But then other people, they get saved, and I believe they got saved. I used to preach them lost. But I'm not a lord shipper. I'm familiar with that term. Something's wrong. There's a difference. And we see here in this chapter Christ signing off. And what he says there in verse 6 is, We've been called out of the world. The Bible's clear of that. We've been called out of this world. But then he says in verse 11, We're in the world. And then in verse 14, he says, we're not of the world. But then in verse 18, he says, but we are sent into the world. Now, that's kind of confusing, isn't it? He says, we've been called out of the world, but yet we're still in the world. But yet we're not of the world, but I've sent you into the world. You say, preacher, what is the Lord trying to say? Number one, he's trying to say that we're to be in the world But the world is not to be in us. We're to be in the world, but the world is not to be in us. The Corinthian church, that's the theme there. There was to be in the world. We're to interact in the world as a testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ and what he has done for us. But the world is not to be in us. You say, oh, preacher, I can illustrate that. All of you know that I have a boat. I got a boat. And the ideal of a boat is that you're going to put the boat in the water. But you don't want the water in the boat. It's supposed to float on the water. Now, one of the first things I did with that boat is I made sure I put a brand new sump pump in that thing because I don't want to get into a 100 foot of water and figure out that I've cracked the bottom of that boat and we're going down in 100 foot of water. My aim is to keep the water out of the boat. And you do that with a sump pump. It, that one has two of them, just in case you forget to hit the sump pump to drain the water out about every four hours. If the water reaches a certain level in there, there's one that comes on automatically to pump the water out. So all you've got to worry about is bad batteries. So we can take that illustration and bring it back to the church. The church is like this boat. We're to be in the world, but the world is not to be in us. We're to interact in the world. We're not called to be isolationists. We're called to be separationists, if you want to put that on there. We're to be separated, and we become separated through the Word of God. He keeps putting that emphasis on the book. So why is there so much difference? I hope that you've had some of these questions. I know I've had these questions. Maybe you don't think about it like that, but I do as a pastor and as trying to set the vision for our future, and we're living in wicked days. A preacher friend said that these last three years, he's pastored for about 40 years, and the last three years by far has been the hardest to pastor. And I got news for you, I don't think it's going to get better. It's not going to get easier. And there's many churches on the tipping point of allowing worldliness into the church to try to bring back the crowds that they lost. And so there's a big difference. So why is there so much difference? I think, I can, I think I've narrowed it down to three things. Number one. There's so much of a difference because it's a matter of passion. There's something wrong with the passion. You know, you see, some people, they just love the world more than others. Some people love God more than others. That's just the fact of the matter. I was thinking about this this morning as I was going over uh, this message. I believe that a lot of people, or let me say this, some people, they've only wanted Jesus, and they view Jesus like life insurance. What's in it for me? And they're convinced there's life after death, and they don't want to go to a devil's hell. They definitely want to live in heaven. And they've got some nirvana put up in their mind of what heaven is. And so just in case, it's not that they truly believe that Jesus is the only way, but it sounds good, and the guy peddling at the door is talking good because he used to be a door-to-door sweeper salesman. And so he talked you into accepting the Lord, but your motives and your attitude was, I just need a little life insurance that's all I needed. But it wasn't because you were sick of this world. It wasn't that you didn't love the world. And so you love the world more. You see, it's a growing love for the Lord that leads to a growing hatred for the world. We learn this from John again. Over there in 1 John chapter 2, about verse 15, he says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. There was no big words in that. That's real plain. That's sixth grade English. He's telling you straight up, if you love the world more, the love of the Father is not in you. It comes down for your passion for the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, in verse 6, Christ is showing us here that He was on a first name basis with the Father. Let me give you this. Jesus wants a relationship with you. He does not want to share a religion with you. Jesus wants a relationship with you, but He's not about sharing a religion with you. That's what was wrong with the Pharisees. They did not have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. They rejected Him. But they were trying to share a religion with God. Let me put that right in educated God. And I'm not making fun of God. I'm telling you, it's how these guys roll. And that's how the Pharisees rolled. They got all sanctimonious, they got all pious about God. But it was nothing more than religion, it had nothing to do with a relationship, just like in the Garden of Eden. Eve traded a relationship with Christ in the cool of the day for more information about God. That's what she did. He says, God's holding back on you. God's not filled in all those blanks. And if you eat this fruit, God told you not to eat it because he knows when you eat it, your eyes will be open, and you'll know the good and the evil. You'll be able to have your own mind. You'll be able to reason on your own without God. And Eve bought into that lie. And so she traded a relationship with God for more information about God. Verse 26, here I didn't read it. But look with it, and he says, And I have declared unto them thy name. I will declare it, that the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them, and I in them. Let me ask you a question. Are you on a first-name basis with the Lord Jesus Christ? I'm going somewhere with this. I'm just taking my time to build it. But I'm going to show you something from Scripture we're not passionate enough about the person of Christ. And that's why you'll have one side, one Christian, that's totally sold out. They're living a a holy life dedicated to God and ministry. And then on the other extreme, you have another Christian. They're a son too, but they don't care about church or the things of God or the Christian life. And you say, why is that? There's something wrong with their passion. Let me ask you this. When you talk about your spouse, does your spouse like it when you use their name? Or does your spouse, are they okay? Or are you okay? Let me talk to the ladies. Are you okay when your husband says, yeah, that's that's the old lady, you know. Me and my old lady, she just went on. You don't like that, do you? That's, that's, that's really not a first-name basis, is it? You say, well, you know, my wife and I, and you're like, wow, okay. No, you want to be called and addressed by name. You know, when I talk about Jenny, I call her Jenny. That's her name, Jindora. If, but y'all couldn't remember that. It took me six months to remember it. And so I adopted names for her. You know, I was always asking her brothers, now, what, what was her name again? Uh, well, you've been seeing her for six months. Don't you know her name yet? Well, it, was, it starts with a J. <laughs> it can cause some troubles, can't it? Jim <laughs> said, what, "What's my name? <laughs> what, what, is, what my name is? It's Jindora. That's her real name. One given to her. I call her Jenny because I could remember that one." But you like to be addressed by your first name or your name. You, you, if you're a husband, you don't want your wife saying, "Yeah, the old man." You know, you know. is just, you know, I got to cook him some supper again. He's gonna come on. No, that, that, you don't. He don't like that. One, we don't like at fifty. You don't like to hear the word "old" in a, in the same sentence with your name. Now, that's the reality of life. Got it? You say, "Well, what are you saying?" Well, remember. <laughs> When you first met your spouse, man, you spent all your time with her, or you spent all your time with them. And those little flaws that drive you up a wall now, they just roll it off of you then like water off a duck's back. It didn't, didn't matter if she chewed chips loudly or not. It, it doesn't matter if you got a, a bowl of mixed nuts and she goes through it picking out the ones she likes and leaves you all the rest. I wouldn't mention any names about that. That drives me up the wall. Take them as they come out. Don't pick through them. I might like the same nuts you do. <laughs> Yeah. (laughs) But there was a time when we first uh, met each other that, man, that even wasn't an issue. That would have never even registered. You know, you see what I'm saying? There was a time where you spent every waking moment, and if you had a smartphone back in the days when you met your spouse and they didn't have unlimited texting, you'd still be paying that bill. That's right. And say, what is that? That's passion. That was passion. You were passionate about that person. Now let me give you what the Lord's saying here. In 1 John chapter 2, about verse 1, he talks about, I need to read it so I don't misquote it. I'll read it to you because there's a phrase there that we need that goes with what we're saying. 1 John, I want to say it's 2 John actually. I know it is. I got 1 John in the notes, but it's not. It's 2 John. He says, The elder unto the elect lady and her children whom I love, but he don't stop there, in the truth. Did you see that? Whom I love in the truth. You say, what's the Bible saying? You cannot know true love unless you love in the truth. And the only way to do that is to be in the truth, which is the Word of God. And that's why he puts that emphasis on verse 2. For the truth's sake which dwelleth in us, That's Christ, if you're saved, and shall be with us forever. You say, what are you saying, preacher? You can't love God right if you're not in the Bible. You can't love your family right if you're not in the Bible, in the truth. And you can't love your church right if you're not in the truth. Is it starting to make sense We're passionate about the wrong things. We're more passionate about the world than we are the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're passionate about the evil. We're passionate about pleasure, but we're not passionate about truth. You see, here's what he was saying. Here's what your Bible says in Isaiah 45, 20. Assemble yourselves and come. Come. Draw near together, ye that are escaped of the nations. They have no knowledge that set up the wood of their graven image and pray unto a God that cannot save. Tell ye and bring them near. Yea, let them take counsel together. Who hath declared this from the ancient time? Who hath told it from that time? Have not I the Lord? That's Jehovah. And there is no God else beside me, a just God and a Savior. Oh, we're going somewhere with this. There is none beside me. Your Bible's telling you that the Lord Jehovah is a Savior. Look unto me and be ye saved. All the ends of the earth, for I am God, and there is none else. What name did he share with the twelve? It wasn't Jehovah. It wasn't Yahweh. It was Jesus. That was the name. You say, "How do you know?" Take your Bible to Luke, Luke chapter twenty-four. Just turn to the left, Luke twenty-four. And let me bring this point home. The first point is the most important point. Luke twenty-four, verse forty-four. This is on the road to Emmaus, and Jesus shows up, and he says this in verse forty-four. And he said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. So, What are you saying, preacher? I'm saying Isaiah... 45 was talking about Jesus. Your Bible's teaching you that Jesus is Jehovah, but Jesus is the Savior. If you want to get to know the Father, you're going to have to get to know Jesus Christ. The person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Take your Bible to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. This is what Peter says here in verse 11. He's preaching. He's doing some preaching here. Now he's going to preach what Jesus revealed to him over here in John. This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby you must be saved. What name is that? The Lord Jesus Christ is the name. You get over there in about verse f- uh, 31, and he says, Then he says, And when they had prayed, the place was shaken, and they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God, with boldness, there's that truth again. And the multitude of them believed were of one heart and of one soul. Well, they had some passion, and it was passion for the Lord Jesus Christ, who was the Savior. Acts verse 1 3 To whom also he showed himself alive after his passion. It's talking about Christ. Christ had great passion for you and I. And it has been called uh, the work that He did there on the cross. His crucifixion, His death, His burial and resurrection. The passion of Christ. That's what your Bible says. Oh, if we could be as passionate for Him as He is for us. This world wants to talk about God... But God wants to talk about Jesus. Oh yeah, world's religious, but they want to talk about God. And they want you to think that he's just a supreme being somewhere. But God wants to talk about Jesus. What have you done with my son Jesus? God, the Son. Do you love the Lord Jesus Christ or do you love the world more? Our problem is that we do not have a passion for the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. When Jesus ceases to become a consumer product that you purchased so you could have some fire insurance and becomes a person that you're to have a relationship with, you're going to learn some things when you get into the truth of the Word of God about the person of Christ, about what His preferences are and what His personality is. And we shouldn't have this great divide on where one Christian is following the Word of God and they're of one heart and one mind with this book And they're passionate about the things of God. God in Christ is passionate about the church. He said He died and shed His blood for the church. Why are we not passionate for the church? Oh, preacher. Yeah. I hear you. I get that way sometimes. There's something wrong with the passion. That's why there's such a difference. But quickly now, it's a matter of perspective. It's a matter of perspective. How you view it. I guarantee you there's people that should be in church right here today that's laying up on the couch. Yeah, watching maybe the live stream. You want to know why? There's something wrong with the perspective. Number one, their passion is wrong. Number two, their perspective is wrong. I was talking with uh, 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 the renters. (laughs) We're sitting at the kitchen table and he says, A lot of time, preachers, you make me mad (laughs) while you preach the first half of that sermon. Yeah, you want to know why? Because I've been camped out in the Word of God. And the mere fact that the Word of God, when it begins to be proclaimed, it challenges us, it, it engages us, and it convicts us about how we're living our lives. Why we have such a divide is our perspective is wrong. That's how we view it, it's a philosophy. It's our understanding of truth and how it relates to the world around you. Have you ever heard this? You don't need that much church. Why would somebody say that? God started the church. Why would you rise up and say, you don't need that much church? Well, that's based on a philosophy. That's based on their perspective. Now, I promise you this. They didn't get it from the Bible. That is a philosophy. That is somebody's perspective, and it's a wrong perspective. Colossians 2.8 says, be aware, be on guard, lest any man spoil you. They're spoiled. You ever try to drink spoiled milk? Eat a rotten egg? Through philosophy. Uh-oh. Oh, boy. See, it's quiet because I know I'm right where we need to be. It's actually quiet on live stream, too. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Why, preacher? Why wasn't you back in Exodus chapter 14? Well, you didn't want that one either. (laughs) As we was dealing with bitter water over there. I figure we better get this out of the way first. God, It's been on my heart for two weeks. Jen's had a bear to live with. (laughs) <laughs> our perspective is wrong. Something's wrong with our perspective. Illustration. Remember the widow's mite? Remember what Christ said about the widow's mite? There was all those rich Pharisees standing there. And they were putting in large sums of money. And then this widow, she put in two mites. And what, you remember what the Lord said? He said, she's put in more than anybody else you say whoa now I bet if you were counting the money back in the back and somebody put five six hundred dollars in the plate you would probably say that was a lot of money but if someone put in two quarters you'd say that's not a lot of money you say why is that because it's a matter of perspective And the Lord's perspective is different than our perspective. The Lord counts a little different than we do. You see, if you got $2 million laying in the bank, and you put $500 a week in the plate, that's not a lot of money. But if you got got $200 in the bank, you put $100 in, you've given more. And in this case, the widow put two mites in. That's five cents. And God says she put more in than anybody else here because she gave it all. Now, some of you already stiffened up on me because you think I'm talking about your money. It has nothing to do with your money. But I knew I could get your attention using money because people get funny when it comes to money. My old pappy said, and it's always about the money. I'm using it as an illustration to show you that our perspective is wrong. I asked little Brianna the other night if a $100 bill was a lot of money. hmm And I could already see her, already had a list of the things she would spend that $100 on if she had it. But if we had went up and talked to Bill Gates and asked him, is this a lot of money? He'd said, he just laughed, said, I'd give more than that in tips. It's a matter of perspective. Matter perspective. Perspective determines your decisions. So, how do we get on the same page with different perspectives? Perspectives are relative. Here's the food part, sister. You see, my perspective is that biscuits and gravy and eggs and sausage is a healthy breakfast with maybe some pancakes on the side. Better yet, if we're going to keep it simple, biscuits and gravy, eggs over medium, with sausage, and then save me some biscuits out because I'm going to have them with syrup on them. (laughs) Amen. Some of you got the same perspective I got. You know, my ideal of a balanced supper is pizza and chip and veggies are just decorations on the table. There it is. (laughs) But I guarantee you my doctor would disagree. Probably Brother Joe would disagree. Sister Amy would disagree. And some of you skinny folk would definitely disagree with me on that. (laughs) And that's why I just don't hang around too much with the skinny folks. As I know something, it's going to be a long, dry spell. We go somewhere this week. I'm driving. I'm driving. I'm showing Brother Dave, Sister Karen, Jenny, and I were taking around showing them the sights, but I'm driving. (laughs) And we will be eating.
1: (laughs) I got one of those
0: diesel trucks. I might have a big tank, but it takes a lot to fill it. You say, What is that? That's a matter of perspective. My perspective is different than your perspective. My perspective is definitely different than the doctor's perspective. So how do we get on the same page? Well, I'll throw this in here. My perspective is bacon is fruit. It's fruit of the pig. Our perspectives are based on our culture, our experiences, and our upbringings. The problem is not our perspectives. The problem isn't when we think our perspective is the only one that's right. There's the problem. We can laugh and have fun about our different perspectives on food. I do not view food as a fuel, I view food as pleasure. It's something I'm going to enjoy that takes me to a happy place. Some of y'all like to ride roller coasters. That's, it makes you happy. You love that thrill. You know that thrill? Some of y'all like adventures and stuff. I get that same feeling every time I sit down to eat biscuits and gravy. <laughs> or bacon. Or pizza. Or anything else that might not be necessarily good for me. It can be a real problem. We all battle this, but the problem is when we think our perspective is the only one that's right. You see, we need God's perspective. It doesn't matter what we think is right or wrong. It matters what God thinks is right or wrong. Again, we're back into the truth. It matters what God's perspective is. Because this Bible says, let God be true and every man a liar. I got one more point. Can you all hang in there? We'll get into the fun stuff tonight. Brother Terry will be preaching. And there will be singing. There's special music too. I forgot to mention that. There'll be special music. He, he plays the guitar way better than I do. So it'll be welcoming. It's a matter of priority. Our priorities are wrong in life. You know, I was telling somebody here, I think it was Brother Dave. There was a time when I lived to hunt and fish. It's all I thought about. My Uncle Jack and I, we'd hunt. We, we looked forward to the gun season. Bow season, gun season, muzzleloader season. It didn't matter. We were going to get in the woods. We were going to go down. We either, I either went to his house or we... Generally, I met, met him at his house. We had coffee and we got into the woods. And then after that... About 9, 30, 10, maybe 11. Well, I ain't staying in the woods all day. Those people that tell you that stuff, they lie. And if they're not lying, they're up in a tree stand with an easy chair up there. I've seen them. And they brought their lunch. I ain't packing a lunch in the woods. I ain't rattling a paper bag while I'm in a tree. I'm coming down somewhere around 10, 10, 11. We're going to eat. (laughs) passionate about that too you know when the children come along that changed thing i took them fishing (laughs) see priorities had to change children were more important than fishing and hunting my wife was more important than fishing and hunting then God called me into the ministry and the ministry is more important than fishing and hunting it's not that I don't love to fish and to hunt it's just I love to preach and pastor and do the things of God more the priority had to change now sometimes and I gotta put this in here because you'll think you're some kind of weirdo because I don't Think that way. Well, there are days when I don't think like that. <laughs> but because my, I have priorities in my life, the priority kicks in and says, yeah, I'd like to go fishing today. Today's a good day. But God's more important. Having my family in church is more important. Having my children in church is more important than me sitting on a couch Watching TV while my family wastes away. You see, there's something wrong with our priorities. There's something wrong with our passion, and there's something wrong with our perspectives. It's a matter of priority in how we're going to serve God. It's a matter of priority on whether we're going to attend church or not. And it's a matter of priority on how we love our families. Oh, this message will apply to marriages too. Something wrong with the passion. Something's wrong with the perspective. That's a big one in marriages. It's actually a big one in church and in Christians. Your perspective is wrong. It's based off of a worldly philosophy, based on the rudiments of the world. You know what rudiments is? first principles so instead of being grounded in the first principles and the clostrum of the word of god you got grounded in the clostrum of the world the rudiments of the world and your philosophy has skewed your perspective and that's why you think it's okay don't get too much church maybe you've heard that you don't want to be a fanatic do you I'm a Christian just like you. I don't have to go to church. Let me tell you something. Someone tries to convince you that they love God but hate church or don't think that it's important, they're straight up lying to you. There's a problem with that because Christ loved the church so much that He gave His life for it. He purchased it with His own blood. That's God's blood. And God... Puts the church on a high, high, high priority. It's his body. Say, what would make a Christian say that? Their perspective is wrong. It's selfish. Their passion is wrong. They're not passionate about the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And their priorities are wrong. That's what's wrong. That's why there is such a difference. That's why we deal with so much worldliness. Because of those three things. So how's your passion? How's your perspective? And how's your priorities? Why does some Christians get the victory in their Christian life, but other Christians, they're just as saved can never get victory it'll be those three things right there let's all stand this morning